Welcome back, everyone, to episode 53 of the Mind Out Business Podcast presented by Bennett Creative Media. I'm your host, Ethan Bennett, and on the show today, we have Ryan Ackerman. Ryan, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all. Before we get started, if you have not already, please rate and review the show. If you could take five seconds to leave us a rating and review, it really helps spread the word to new audiences and attract new guests for you guys each week. All right, let's dive right into it. For the people that don't know, what do you do? Ryan Ackerman, if they've never met you, what's okay. your thing? Well, my, my, my background is in engineering. Uh, I have a degree in civil engineering. Um, I was one of four uh, partners that founded Ackerman Esfold back in 2003. So we've been in operation for almost 20 years. Our 20th anniversary is coming up this fall, Okay, kind of fun. And then uh, also my wife, Jessica, and I have another uh, company called Axel Group, where we focus on downtown redevelopment projects. Okay. So we're going to dive into all of that in sure. detail a little bit in the show. I want to start with your business come up. So you obviously mm-hmm. went to school for engineering. Was business always a thing that you thought you wanted to do, be in one day, or did you just going to engineering thinking I'm going to be an engineer. Well, it, it's kind of an interesting story. So after, uh, after I graduated from NDSU and got my degree in engineering, I got married okay. and, uh, Jess and I moved to Denver, Colorado, and we had this kind of romantic expectation that we're going to live in, you know, kind of a mountain community and enjoy that setting, Okay, get a bunch of experience and then make our way back to North Dakota. At some point, we had this magical number of seven years uh, in our, in our mind when we did this, but why do you think seven just cause I just because I mean, it was, it was arbitrary, but it was, it was the number that we said, ah, oh, maybe in seven years we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll make it back. Well, um, you know, actually we were there for less than a year and really an opportunity came up uh, right, right here in Minot. And we, we made the choice to come back because that, that was the right time. That was the right time for us. And, you know, we, we, we also learned, you know, kind of through our experiences out there that, you know, we, we learned what we really appreciated about this place, okay. about, about, about Minot and, uh, and about being close to family and being, being able to get away from people. Uh, we had that ability here. Whereas in Denver, while you're in the mountains or close to the mountains, when you want to go out into the mountains, you've got the same idea as a half a million other people on every, on every given weekend. So yeah. you're still in the rat race no matter what. Um, so we, we had chose to move back here and okay. started our, started our business. So was the opportunity Ackerman Esfold then? It was, it was. So I had, I'd worked with, uh, uh, previously for my dad, uh, as a surveyor, my dad's got a separate company called Ackerman surveying. Okay. And I started working for him when I was 14 years old. And through that process got to know, uh, a lot of people. Uh, one of those people was a guy named Alan Espold. Okay. Uh, so Alan worked for a different engineering company at the time. And I got this call in the middle of summer 20, uh, 2003. And he said, uh, Hey kid, I'm going to quit my job at the place that he was you know, working at, at the time. And I'm going to start a company and I need somebody to help build it. And I need somebody to help uh, not to help, but to buy me out in 10 years. And I decided to retire. <laughs> what do you think? And I'm like, well, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's do this. Was there any thought process in that? Like you were nervous, like, how am I going to do this? Or were you just gung ho? Let's do it right away. (laughs) You know, I was, I was a 22 in change at the time. Um, so I didn't have any money. I didn't have any assets. I didn't have anything to lose really, except for the opportunity. So I basically said, you know, let's, this is a pretty good opportunity talk to Jess for uh, about 15 seconds about it. And she's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a decision that we made. Um, and it's, it's been a good one for us. Okay. So you went into that partnership thinking like he pretty much had the plan already set up in place and then just needed someone so, so, to kind of so, fill that role. So the one thing that Alan had was he had his registration. 
So in order okay. in order to operate as a, an engineering outfit, you have to have your professional credentials. Well, you can't get those until you're out of school and working under another engineer. In this yeah. case, for a period of four years, and you write an exam, and once you pass, then you can then you can practice uh, professionally. Well, I I didn't have that credential at the time. Alan did. Okay. Um, in addition, you know, when we're starting a business like like a professional services firm, you need to have somebody that has you know a an eye on the financials and an eye on sales. And Alan was really good at those things. Okay. And where my skill set was at was in plan production and being a technical. The nerd. actual engineer. Yeah, be, being side. an engineer. Okay. So I, I'm really good at that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we, we had that uh, kind of symbiotic relationship between the two of us. And then we had, you know, two more partners that joined the mix as well uh, right when we started. And yeah, like I said, it's been, a, it's been an interesting experience. Been been in it for 20 years now. And it, it uh Feels good to come up, come up uh, against that milestone here this fall. Yeah. So, did you learn then the sales and marketing side from him, or did you have a little bit of a business background learning from your dad? Or you know, uh, the sales and marketing side, I think that that came to me a little bit more naturally. I definitely have a different approach than uh, than than what uh, uh, Mr. Esfold had. Um, but you know, it's just it's one of those things that, that that you learn kind of in the trenches. At least at least that's the way it was for me. I mean, going through engineering school and things like that. I mean, yeah business, marketing, all this stuff, you don't get taught any of that stuff. Yeah. So it's all on the job, you know, type training or, or experiential uh, type training that you get. I would say experience is the best teacher because it's, it's hard to learn, especially business. You can yeah. go to business school. I didn't go to business school personally, but yeah. you kind of get the basics and then you got to learn everything right. else you're right. doing. So when those other two partners came in, so there's a total of four of you? Correct. When, when we first started, there were four of us. Okay. Yeah. So how did it, like, I've never ran a business with a partner before. What's it like running a business with a partner? Did you have well, any qualms at the beginning of how's it going to work with a partner? You, you know, um, if you, in my opinion, if you have a good partnership, you will have consistent disagreement, mm -hmm. but it's always cordial and it's always professional. Okay. Because at the end of the day, you need to collaborate with your partners to basically, um, you know, you, so, so you take the four of us, right? So yeah. you add up one plus one plus one plus one. Somehow you got to get to six. Yeah. Okay. And the way that you do that is through that collaboration and basically leveraging everybody's strengths, make sure that you understand everybody's perspectives with regard to an issue, and then ultimately formulate and execute a plan that everybody is behind. And then that's how you grow you you know, a, a, a business that forms like through a partnership. Do you think it, it's easier to grow a business faster if you do have partners because you're all kind of molding minds or are there some hurdles you kind of have to work through? Well, um, I, think, I think it depends on... I think it depends on the situation. Um, in our case, it was it was the way to go because, mm -hmm. like when we first started, I like I, I did not have the business development, marketing type background yeah. and experience. Well, you have to sell something before you can do it. Yeah. In, our, in our particular industry, and Alan was good at the sales. I was good at the doing. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, you know, I again that that symbiotic thing really comes into play. But um, you know, I. I don't think that Alan could have done it alone. I don't think I could have done it alone. In fact, I know I couldn't have done it. Alone. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, uh, I, I think we we found the right skill sets to you know build a to build a pretty good team and kind of use that same model moving forward. I mean, now we've got actually so we've got a, you know a, a couple of partners that have retired. Okay. And they're out of the picture. Um, and we have new partners that have come into the picture. So currently we have uh, there's eleven partners in oh, Ackermansfold. Okay. I didn't pretty, know that. Yeah, pretty broad based ownership group and. 
So a lot of perspectives. Yeah. So, well, that's probably, so is that kind of like a, the board then kind of, or are they just full blown partners? Everyone equal share? How does that work? No, so, so people have different, uh, share, share amounts okay. that they, that they own by, you know, percentages or, yep. or, or things like that. Um, but you know, each person has, they bring their own voice, they bring their own perspectives and experience into our executive meetings that we have yeah. every couple of weeks, you know, a bunch of people sitting around the table arguing <laughs> about stuff or whatever. But yep. it, again, it's done in a very collaborative you know, safe manner, cordial. And, yeah. It, cordial. And, and we, we expect disagreement. We do mm-hmm. because not can't have 11 people on the same train. No, it's, I mean, yeah. you, you, you can't, I mean, it gets dangerous when you build yourself an echo chamber, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, you just, you get, you get, you get blinders built up yeah. alongside you and you, you don't necessarily have a, a an indication of the things that can derail your progress. Okay. Whereas if you take those blinders off, open up perspectives, get different ideas. Yeah. It gives you a more uh, broad based uh, strategy to try and execute. That's one thing I've noticed when running the business, my business by myself, it's sometimes I feel like I'm getting too involved in it where I can't see it from a third party point of view. So I have people to bounce ideas off of and yeah. see if I'm crazy or not. Yeah. Uh, going back to the beginning of Ackerman Estival then. So what did the beginning look like? There's obviously uh, four original partners. Yep. How many employees did you guys have? Did you start really small? What did that look like? So we had four partners, uh, three of which were employees. So, okay. so there were uh, three three working partners. I was one of those three. And then we basically had uh, an outside investor. Okay. That basically had the cash to come up with our equity to secure a loan through the SBA that we used to basically pay our salaries for, you know, six months or whatever okay. it was. Yeah. So, um, so how does that work then? Cause I've never had to do the financial side of things. What would be some advice that you'd give to people that are maybe wanting to start a business or going into this? How do they find these kinds of people? Well, uh, you know, I, I think you need to take a look at the, you know, understand the business that you're trying to get into understand are is it capital intensive? Okay. You know, in, our, in our case, what we're really selling at the end of the day is our expertise mm-hmm. and the time that it takes for us to work on a project. So that really isn't necessarily capital it's more intensive. so like a consulting side. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So for us, I mean, the the seed capital that we needed to get started was basically just just enough operating cash to get us through when we opened the doors to when we first expected to get payments from our clients. Yeah. So that we could actually pay our salaries using revenue, client money, of yeah. loan money. Right. Yeah. Right. So how um, long did it take to get that first client then? Because you said it was like that six month window. Maybe. Yeah, it, it took uh, probably took about a month. Okay, it took about a month. Um, you know, thankfully we had some relationships in place prior to uh, you know making the switch, if you will. Yeah. And so we we uh, were able to utilize those relationships to to be able to work. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd sit there and twiddle our thumbs. I mean, you in in the business that that we're in on the Ackerman Asphalt side, you you can't just wait for the phone to ring. Yeah. Right. You can't just wait for somebody to come to you and say, you know, Hey, I, we need this thing. Yeah. I, I need some engineering. Yeah. Right? Um, so how does that work then? I suppose the sales process, do you kind of just pitch ideas to people or how do these projects come about? So it's, it's, it's a mix, right? So in, um, in some cases we will go out and, you know, just pay visits to prospective clients. Okay. Right? Maybe it's a developer, maybe it's a, small city or maybe it's a large city or maybe yeah. it's an agency at the state or whatever. I mean, we, we work for private, we work for public. Um, we kind of, you know, we kind of have a, a pretty diverse mix of, of clientele. So yeah. step one is just, 
trying to meet these people Mm -hmm. and trying to let them know what it is that we do and the services that we offer and uh, maybe how we can provide value to their project, to their vision, whatever. Um, But it it takes time to develop those relationships. I mean, it's not a, you know, hey, I'm going to grab a coffee with, yeah. with you Easton. And then after that, you're going to, you're going to hire like, okay, me, right? Build this $40 million building. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're going to, you're going to hire me. Right. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, after I, after I bought you a coffee or yeah. you know, something like that. So do you so. think it boils down to a lot of the relationships then? Yeah, a- absolutely. I-, I think that's a huge part of um, how we develop our business. It's through relationships. It's through reputation. Yeah. I mean, when, when you consider, like our, our current book of business, a vast majority of our work is actually repeat work from repeat customers and yeah. clients. So okay. what that tells us from a business development and marketing standpoint is we better do a really good job. Yeah. Right. Cause that's one thing when I was starting, I didn't know how to, I was going in cold Turkey, didn't know yeah. how to meet these people. Right. And obviously this podcast is one of the ways that I, to meet individuals in the minor community, but do you have any advice for the people that are getting started in business, maybe college graduates or high school graduates, whatever it is, how can they start getting in these rooms with these influential people? Well, I, I think uh, step number one is just to be bold, right? Uh, I, I think, I think by and large people like interacting with other people. So if, if you have a prospective client or customer, reach out to them. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not as, young as you and as digitally oriented as, as you, but I'll, I'll tell you from my own personal perspective, I really dislike email. Yeah. And it, n- not from the, like a, you know, communication standpoint, one-to-one mm-hmm. I'm working with you on a project. You can email me. Eh, that's great. Yeah. But if you want to reach out to me saying, I've really got a product that you should be interested in. Yeah. And that comes through an email. Because you get a thousand like, of those. Yes. You know? And I'm immediately going to trash that. Yeah. I just, I don't have the time to screen through all that. How many, pe- I get day. so many people like voiceover artists, like, Hey, I'm Billy Bob Joe. And I saw your video with this company and I'd love to do some voiceover work for you. I'm like, well, I never do voiceovers. And you, you could tell that if you watch some of the videos, right. there's no voiceovers right. ever in it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of that personal relationship going and meeting these people actually shaking hands. Yes. Yep. I think that's, that's step one. And then, you know, step two is, is patience. I mean, and continued touch points with, with people. I mean, a a trusting relationship is not built in one meeting, one coffee meeting. It's not not built. I mean, you know, we can exchange pleasantries and we can get to know one another, but you know, at, at the end of the day, you're, 10, 10 meetings in typically before, yeah. before you have enough trust in me to say, you know what, when I've got my engineering or architecture project that comes up next, I'm going to, I'll give you guys a call. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. one thing I didn't realize is the amount of jobs or projects that I've gotten because of a relationship that I've made two or three years yeah. ago where it'll come up and be like, Hey, uh, we're doing this thing now. You want to do this? I'm like, Oh gosh. Yeah. I've Totally. You know, you just see them in passing saying hi, you shoot them a birthday text, whatever it might be. Those are the things that, like you said, it's not just one coffee shop meeting. We are going to take a second to hear from this week's sponsor, Midco. Is your business moving up and to the right? Put Midco's business technology to work for you so you never have a slow day at the office. From premium internet and phone plans to custom private networking and advertising, they have a solution for every type of business, large or small. Get paired with an account representative to create your suite of services and make the switch with ease with dedicated business client fulfillment and support teams. No data caps, flexible contracts with month-to-month or long-term options, built-in DDoS protection, and more. Explore services and request a free consultation at midco.com business. 
today. I've been a Midco user ever since I started my business four years ago, four and a half years ago, I think now. Uh, so if you guys are looking to check out the services they offer, go to midco.com slash business today. All right, Ryan. So let's get back into the questions. Now we talked about the beginning of the company when, you know, you're kind of boots on the ground. When did it come to a point when you realized, okay, we got to scale, we're getting bigger. Was that, you know, two years in one year in six months in, you know, it was probably six months in and, you know, you, you don't scale from, you know, four to 30. Yeah. Right. And in, in, in our case, I mean, we, we grew pretty organically and quite frankly, that's been, that's been the type of growth for us that's been sustainable and successful and, and, and most successful in the long run. Um, you know, where, you know, we getting busy. So we advertise, we hire. Yeah. And over time we've developed an internship program uh, within okay. Ackerman Asphold that basically creates a pipeline for younger people that are interested in engineering and architecture uh, where they can come in, get some experience with us, uh, you know, in the, in the summer months or whatever. And, uh, at, at the end, if there's a two-way fit between them and us, us and them, then yeah. ho- hopefully they, they, they come on board after they graduate. Uh, when did that come about? You know, we started that fairly early on, probably the second year that, oh, we, were, okay. that we were in business. Um, basically said that, hey, we're, you know, we're, we need to um, staff some of these seasonal efforts that we have going on. We're typically more busy in the summertime than in the wintertime just because of the construction cycle. Yeah. Uh, so we need to staff some of these efforts, get some people on the ground. Um to observe construction, document what's happening, things like that. And, you know, it was, it's a great, it's a great uh, experience opportunity for, for, for younger people that are interested in the industry. So try and hire a, a couple of young folks to come in and learn the ropes, learn the type of business that we do, learn the industry. And over time, you know, hopefully they you know, consider us uh, as a, an employer basically uh, when yeah. they graduate. So, yeah. Cause that's one thing I'm kind of going through right now. I'm looking to hire some full-time editors and, it's in that stage of do you hire before you need it? Uh, so you have time to train them, make sure everything's in place. Cause I've always heard people say, you know, don't hire when you're the busiest cause then it's going to be a mess. Do you have any advice on that? Well, I, I would say from, you know, our, our experience in the last three, four years has been to basically if, if we encounter a, a good person that's technically skilled, yeah, that can add value to our organization. We'll hire them whether we have an opening or not, advertised or not. Yeah, because workforce has by far been the uh, the uh, limiting factor for our growth. Uh, we we just we can't hire enough quality people. Has that um, been in the last three four years? Yeah, probably the last three four years. Um, okay. you know, and and, it, and that that ebbs and flows, right? So at at one point, let's say two thousand ten or so. Okay, uh, you know context here locally was we were going through the oil boom, right? Yeah. So we had some pretty significant things going on locally, but nationally was the housing crisis. Oh yeah. And mass layoffs, especially in the engineering industry. That was right after 2008 Cross, boom, yep, right? Right. Okay. Yep. After that, or not after boom, that, but <laughs> after that the housing disaster nationally or yeah. whatever. So, so there was a, there were a number of people that, that looked at North Dakota as an opportunity and ended up, you know, working with us or yeah. whatever. So, Okay. So was that, uh, you know, you hit these big moments, obviously the oil boom is one of them housing crash, uh, COVID obviously something a few years ago. How do you look at those moments? How do you capitalize on on them rather than, you know, some businesses might be thinking, Oh, this is bad, but you guys obviously capitalize on it, taking advantage of the people coming to North Dakota. 
Yeah. You, you know, I, I don't know that it's so much capitalizing on every single moment, but, you know, because there's there are opportunities that you try and set yourself up strategically to capitalize upon, but you also have to set yourself up to be resilient to certain threats, right? Yeah. COVID, I'll be honest, I didn't see that one coming. No, I don't think and, did. And, uh, you know, when you have, um, you know, there were certain certain teams or disciplines within our business that that did fine. They sustained through that. But there were other teams that they had, let's say, nine months worth of backlog, which is work to do, which is in yeah. our industry is a lot. Like these guys were really busy, really healthy financially, yeah. like doing well. And it, and it disappeared like in an instant. In a, yeah. Snap of the so, finger. so, um, you know, we didn't see that one coming. Right. Yeah. Uh, but where we were set up strategically to be able to handle that is we're a fairly, uh, fiscally conservative organization. So we don't have much by way, by the way of debt. Okay. And we keep, we keep cash in the bank to be yeah. able to weather those type of storms. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were able to weather those type of storms because prior to that, our struggle was, you know, building that team, building yeah. the workforce. So we put a ton of energy and money into building up, you know, a high quality team and we got it and we had, you we had healthy backlog like and had to yeah. work. And then COVID came and it was threatening to wipe that whole thing out <laughs> because they had nothing to do. Yeah. And this is a high, highly skilled, highly trained team, which means they're also, it's very expensive. Right. Yeah. Um, so, in, but thankfully, you know, we're, we're conservative enough on the financial side that we, we had money in the bank to basically just, keep on paying people, even yeah. if they're twiddling thumbs or, you know, working on standards or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, uh, they did a lot of business development type work at yeah. that time because it was like, well, you, you got nothing to do. Why don't you go meet some people and yeah. see if you can, you know. And it's good that you guys were looking in advance, not that you were like, Hey, some crazy disaster is going to happen, but right. that you were smart enough fiscally to weather those storms. Yeah. So talking about the growth a little bit more now, you guys have offices in three, four five different places, right? We have, we have uh, four different offices. We have our, our headquarters office in, uh, in Minot. We okay. have an office in Williston, an office in Fargo, and we have an office in Boise, Idaho. So when did you know that expansion into those areas was prevalent and something you needed to do? Did it just come from a lot of work in that area, or how does that work? Well, so uh, for us, a uh, few, few, uh, few different paths led to, these, to, to each office. Our office in Williston actually came through a merger with two companies out there. One was called uh, Ameritech Engineering Corporation and the second was called ABC Building Systems was an architecture group. Uh, So we actually merged and that basically cemented our presence in the Williston market. Okay. Um, In Fargo, uh, we opened an office there primarily because one of our principals that was working in our Minot office uh, needed to make a change for personal reasons. His his wife wanted to move to Fargo. So he moved to Fargo (laughs) and we said, okay, well let's, let's start an office in Fargo. Yeah. Um, and uh, for our for our Boise location, um, we had we had a gentleman that that uh, was working for us in Minot like 2012 through 2015 or so. Uh, his wife said we're we're going back to either California or to Idaho. Yeah, because uh, he he was a he was a transplant coming from the housing crisis that yep. came to work for us. Um, and so so he actually moved and he worked for a, a different a different firm yep. and actually a city out there for a, for a stretch or whatever. But we maintained contact and we mm-hmm. said you know hey. Uh, you're getting bored out there. Just <laughs> this guy is a really fantastic business development guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, he was, he was kind of being uh, shoehorned into doing just technical work, which he, hates. he didn't want to do. Yeah. It's the stuff that I love, but it's yeah. the stuff that he hates. Right. Well, uh, his, so his boss at the time wouldn't let him do any business development stuff, which is what he wanted to do. Yeah. So we just maintain contact and, and finally in a conversation, we're like, Hey, like if you want to build a book of business of your own, we can set up 
the resources around you and behind you yeah. to punch out the technical aspects of this work okay. and, we'll, and we'll set you on a track uh, toward, you know, ownership within the company and yeah. we'll, we'll set out financial um, goals and objectives. And if we can check all these boxes along the way, you've, you've got your future pegged out for you. So he's a, he's a partner of ours now. Yeah. Too, so, which is pretty cool that, you know, he had that opportunity. Yeah. I assume he jumped on it right away. Yeah. 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 Yep. Which is cool because I I'm all, I was always wondering the Idaho, that's like the the outlier, right? Right, like right. You got these places right. in North Dakota, and it's like, oh yeah, we're in Idaho too. Yep. Okay. Right. Cool. So yeah, I've, I'm always interested to see how people uh, expand because some people have asked me, they're like, oh, are you going to open? I work with a lot of Bismarck clients. You're going to open a Bismarck office? I was like, I work for my house in Minot right now, so I don't need a Bismarck office. Yes. Yeah, right. Right. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see how people expand. So you guys played a critical role in the flood protection, right? Here in Minot. Correct. So why do you? care so much about that. I know you did a TEDx talk on it. I did. Yeah. So why, why is that important to you? Um, so this is a, for me, this is a, this is a heavy topic, right? So, um, in 2011, I was involved in the flood fighting stuff that was happening. I'd spent a lot of time in Minot in some of the rural areas around Minot and also in the city of Burlington. And, uh, in, in, you know, when we got kind of this call, I remember it vividly. It was on Father's Day in 2011 that there was a bunch of rain up in Canada Yeah, that we needed to get ready for something. So we, we went to work, started building up levees, spent uh, four or five days without sleeping, basically. And ultimately, uh, in Burlington was where I was at. at. At this particular time, the water started to come over the levees and we, we had lost, right? Yeah. Well, I was in a fog. I came home to my, to my wife in the middle of the night or whatever. And I hadn't seen any of the stuff that was on TV in mm. terms of what was going on or whatever. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, I can't remember. It was probably Sean Sipma or Perry Olson or yeah. maybe Jim, I, whatever, but all the stuff coming through on high def, seeing the devastation in the neighborhood, all this kind of neighborhoods in Minot, my hometown, like I lost it. Like yeah. Bald for hours. Yeah. As I watched all this stuff happening and, and, in kind of in the midst of that rupture in my personal life, I, I also, I've never had more clarity about like what I needed to do next. Like the future moving. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it was at that time that, you know, I made a conscious decision that, you know, I am, I am going to be involved in making sure that this type of thing doesn't happen here again. Yeah. And no matter how long it takes, um, we're, we're going to see it through. So, cause that was something that I remember at the time I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. And I wish I'd been older so I could remember it a little bit better. Obviously I remember living at my grandma's house and the water being four feet up. I think this house was flooded too. The water was like four feet up. Um, and I don't, the only thing I really remember is dropping a giant cinder block on my dad's floor upstairs. And he was pissed you put a hole in my floor and then it ended up flooding. So I was like, Hey, good thing. I, uh, good thing it flooded. So you don't have to fix that. You got to fix the whole flooring and not just that one mark. Um, so the, the reason I asked that question, I want to pivot a little bit into the community. Now, why do you think as a business owner that it's important to be involved in the community and give back to the community, uh, that you're running your business in? Well, you know, our, our community involvement isn't necessarily a, a business strategy more as it is a personal strategy. I, and my wife, you know, we, we love this place. We love Minot. We're not, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. And we hope that someday our kids have the same outlook yeah. about this place. So for us, it's about being involved in community initiatives or, you know, you know, quite frankly, investment opportunities or whatever to try and move the needle 
uh, the quality of life needle yeah. within Minot to make this a to make this a better place, to make it the best place to live. Yeah, because that's what I'm, you know, going into the future, you talked about your kids uh, potentially loving Minot in the future when they're older. Uh, transitioning a little bit now into the Axol group, that's something that you do a lot of investing, uh, downtown Minot and all these community projects. Is that what it is? It's, well, first of all, give me a rundown of what that is, that business. Sure. And then is that for, you know, moving that quality of life so people can experience a better life in Minot? Yeah. So uh, for, for us, I guess a little bit of background on Axel Group. Um, Axel Group is owned by Jessica, my wife, and uh, myself. Uh, so it's, it's, it's us two. And uh, we formed this about five years ago and decided that we would like to get involved in restoring the historic core of Minot. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't have any interest in doing greenfield development or anything like that. Um, we, we want to focus on historic redevelopment. Yeah. So we, we, you know, our first purchase was the citizens garage in, in downtown Minot, which that's a sketchy one. Yep. Right? That's a pretty <laughs> sketchy building. But um, through that, we developed a concept for redeveloping that. And then there were other visions that kind of came into play, including the, uh, like the building where uh, Prairie Sky Breads is at where high third used to be. Um, those, you know, one of them was listed, one was not. And yeah. I kind of had this vision of going, okay, we could, we could buy both of these, connect them and put a rooftop over the top of the other building. But yeah. you know, we got to, means we got to buy them both. So we kind of made a deal on one and then approached the owner on the other and made a deal on that one. It's like, okay, well now, now it's go time. Like yeah. let's, let's build this thing out. So we've got, we've got those properties and then we've, uh, also uh, purchased the adjacent uh, historic Sioux Line Freight House, okay. which is where Blum's uh, Butcher Shop used to be. And yep. there's a, an alley back there that we're working on a concept on called Citizens Alley. So the idea is to turn that space where, you know, when I was uh, in grades nine and 10 at Central Campus, that's where we used to park, smoke <laughs> cigarettes and get in fights. <laughs> yep. So um, you, you, say, know, you knew the people that were parking down there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's just, that's the way it was. And yeah. it, it didn't change much yeah. in, you know, 20 years following that. Yeah. So you had to be um, driving a truck to get back. In that <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've got several concepts that we're, we're executing basically. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at the end of it all, I guess our, the, the hope is that we're, we're creating spaces that create the opportunity or entrepreneurs, yeah, people that have visions, people that have, uh, you know, are looking for an opportunity to start a business in a cool space in the heart of our community. Um, yeah, and I guess at the end of the day, we're just you know, trying to trying to create the environment that keeps our kids here, or yeah, your kids or anybody's kids, right? It's just it's that next generation of minoters or people that are considering moving to Minot. Like we yeah. we want to see this place flourish. And those are the things that you guys have added specifically, you know, the hockey rink this year in citizens alley. Uh, you have the parklet is that what it's called yep. outside of Prairie sky breads. And then I can't remember the curling game. Is it croak? And all? Yeah. Well, it was, it's croaky curl. So croaky it's, a, curl. it's okay. a combination of a Canadian board game called croak and all and yeah. curling. Um, yeah, we did that, uh, two winters ago. Um, tried that one out, see if the community would get a kick out of that. There were a few people that liked it. They're mostly Canadians because they've tried this <laughs> yep. before. Um, and they, and they understand crokinole, so they understood the rules. Yeah. Um, but bringing but, things like that to Minot does help for, uh, you know, the people that are deciding if they want to move to Minot and adding and moving that quality of life needle yeah. for sure. So the beginning of the Axel group, were you guys pondering this idea for a while? When did it decide that, Hey, let's maybe start this and try to start some redevelopment. 
Well, uh, our our initial our initial idea was to purchase this, you know, quite frankly, purchase the citizens' garage, and then we I developed a a concept for the south side of that to put a second story back on what used to be uh, called the Parker Auditorium. Okay. Um, like on top of the garage. Yes. So on the south side, so the citizens' garage is actually an L-shaped building. It's got yeah. an entrance on both entrance on both first street and first Avenue. Okay. The first Avenue side, like across from the blue rider, um, that used to have a second story on it and it burned down in the sixties. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so, the one with like the big garage door, right? Correct. From- correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's a, and, and on top of that Parker auditorium, I mean, there were some pretty historic figures that actually made appearances there. Louis Armstrong played a concert up there. Really? Yes. So, I mean, like, like there's, <laughs> When, when like we immerse ourselves into the history of these places, it's, it's really difficult to not get lost Yeah. Um, in some of this stuff. So, you know, we've, we've got, you know, we've got these concepts, we've got the history to kind of back them up and, and we're going to, you know, execute them basically as we, as we are able. So is um, bringing the auditorium back something you guys are spitballing? It's, it's, it's in a concept. Okay. It is in a concept. I uh, don't know if it's the right concept yet. Yeah. But, uh, but the um, bones are there. Yeah. The bones are there. I mean, that, that, that's the cool part. And, and that's actually why, you know, why we bought that building to begin with, because that section of it is built like a tank. Yeah. It's built, it's all, it's all concrete and brick and you yeah. know, it's, it's fantastic. There are other sections of it that are a little more sketchy, but, yeah. um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely potential there. Um, okay. So as far as some other cool projects, then you got the auditorium. Is there anything else you can tease on the show? Is there any other cool ideas you guys are spitballing? Yeah. I mean, uh, so we've got the, we've got a, uh, public space called the citizens alley that we're uh, designed and we're looking to implement sometime over the next uh, you know, couple of years, very likely. So that'll be um, redeveloping that alley space and uh, you know, putting in, putting in infrastructure and amenities that make it easier to have things like a skating rink okay. or, or a curling or, or a farmer's market. We're going to put some turf back there. There's going to be a bunch of decorative pavement, nods to history. That, okay. that actually used to be a railroad spur that came up that alley. Oh, really? Uh, historically, oh. there was a rail spur there. So, you know, we're going to try and, and make a nod to that history and then redevelop the freight house itself, which is where the butcher shop is at. And there's some storage units in there now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have no desire to have a butcher shop or storage units <laughs> in downtown. So we're yeah. going to redevelop that building to be a pedestrian centric retail center um, okay. that would kind of feed out into that alley space. Like a so the alley plaza. space is going to be something you see like in big cities where you can walk down and there's cool places you can sit, that kind of thing. That's going to be the thing you're going to see right here in Minot. I mean, I don't, cool. I don't care what Minneapolis is doing. I yeah. don't care. I'm not going to live there. Yeah. I'm going to live in Minot. And I just want, I want this place to be cool. That's the one thing that I think about Minot. Cause people always say, Oh, do you want to move to, you know, Denver, Minneapolis, LA, New York? It's like, it's cool to have these different spaces and these unique experiences, but I don't want all the backlash from it. You know, right. I don't want to live with a million people in right. one block, uh, but it's cool that you can implement these cool experiences, said cool a lot there, experiences into Minot. So it feels like the, that big city feeling, but you still get the small town feel of Minot too. That's probably my favorite part about it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely our, that's definitely our vision. Um, trying to make this place as awesome as we can while, you know, with the time that we have here, yeah, right? Exactly. Do it for my so, kids too. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I will. Yeah. That's Happily. What I so uh, kind of wrapping everything up here, what do you think the most rewarding aspect of being a business owner and a, a business face in Minot is? What do you enjoy about it the most? 
honestly, the, the, the piece that I, that I appreciate the most is developing a high performing, cohesive team um, of, of people. I am so blessed to work with so many outstanding, uh, talented individuals, creative individuals. You know, we've, we've got this uh, really wonderful mix of technical and artistic within our organization. Those things, you know, sometimes there can be conflict there, but, you know, through, you know, through our operation, through our building of these teams, we, we have this sweet synergy that occurs between engineers like me and really creative, you know, architects or interior designers or graphic designers. Oil and water, right? You know, it, it, it can be. And in the traditional sense, you know, um, that's typically kind of how it, how it is, you know, engineers will will grouse about architects and architects will grouse about engineers. (laughs) Right. But, but those, those silos, those walls are stripped down in the organization and we've got, we've got a very uh, high performing team and that's, uh, you know, taking a step back and look at that's probably the most satisfying thing. Yeah. So then for the, for the future and the growth and where, what's the North star of Ackerman asphalt? What do you guys want to get to just keep expanding any like specific dream projects that you want to work on? Yeah. So, you know, we've got three different, um, three different, you know, uh, call it strategic directions that we can follow. Right. We can try and gain market share, you know, from our competitors in markets that we're currently serving. That's, that's option one. That's Mm -hmm. quite frankly, the least fun option. You know, option two is to expand the service areas or or to expand the services themselves of what we, of what we currently do. So, um, I, you know, I talked about adding architecture. This was about 10 years ago when we added that, that discipline. I mean, that's a complementary discipline to what we do or what we were doing at the time. Yeah. Now it's a major part of our business, right? Mm -hmm. So we can continue to add disciplines to supplement what we're doing. And then we can, you know, choose to grow geographically as yeah. well. Like take, take our current wares, you know, pack up our suitcase and go to you know someplace else and try and develop and sell the same thing. You know, so we've got these three different ways that we can grow, but, but the whole purpose behind it, the whole purpose behind growth is to provide the environment for our people to flourish. Yeah. To provide the opportunity for them to achieve their professional goals. Um, that's, I mean, that's why we have 11 partners in our firm yeah. because everybody has got a growth trajectory and, 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 and that growth trajectory uh, is something that we need to find for every person in the organization as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, uh, you know, finding those people that are passionate about growth um, that are passionate about, you know, a, a service that we provide or a part of the country that they want to live in, whatever, yeah. like we can, we can leverage all that passion and all those strengths to make something pretty cool happen. So that's, yeah, that's our that's our approach to, to growth. And, and I, I like that it's uh, people centric where you want to make sure these people are living a better quality life as much as, you know, you expand and the revenue might go up. Really, it boils down to how can we make our team's lives better and then the people that are affected by what we're doing. Yeah, better. yeah absolutely. We've got, you know, kind of three philosophies, if you will. Number one, we, we wish to be the consultant of choice, right? People mm-hmm. we want people to choose us. We wish to be the employer of choice, right? We want people okay. to come and work with us, but we, we also, we also wish to be the investment of choice yeah. for our shareholders, you know, people that are, that are risking some things personally to be a part of what we've got going on. So, yeah. you know, using those three things to kind of, um, you know, guide the direction of our ship is what we do you know, yeah. on a pretty daily basis. So no, I like that. So two questions left for you here. Sure. What is something that you wish you knew now you wish you knew when you started that, you know, now, if you could go back and tell yourself 20 years ago, Hmm. 
I should have taken more, I, I should have had more formal training in communication okay. and in, and in business. I mean, those are, those are the two things where it was very much on the job and communication is not my strong suit. It's yeah. something that I, I have to work really hard to be an effective communicator. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. one thing that gets overlooked too. Communication. Yeah. Aspect. Yeah. For, for sure. So, I mean, you know, if, if I was to, if I was to go back, you know, re- rewind the clock or whatever, I, I, I would have, I would have emphasized more of that within my own, you know, training or college or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I would have, you know, dumped some of the courses in, you know, the randomness. Yeah. I mean, you know, took some classes that I, you know, uh, design of timber bridges. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. What a, I mean, for, for me, great. Got some technical expertise, but it's, yeah. a, it's a waste, right? Yeah. I should have, should have focused on some, uh, some of the more soft skills that would have made me a more effective leader. So you guys uh, expanded the timber bridges. Yeah. Well, <laughs> somebody else can lead that charge. Yeah. You know, that, that's an opportunity for somebody else. Yeah. Not, not me. And then last question I got for you, Mount Rushmore of business advice, four pieces of advice or tips, whatever that you would tell someone that's either just graduating, going into the workforce, or they want to start their own business. Four pieces of advice. doesn't have to be anything long or crazy, but need four from you. Four. Okay. Um, spend time working as if you're going to start something, make sure you spend enough time working on the business instead of just working in the business. Okay. Right. So take a step back every once in a while, be on the balcony. Yeah. Um, and, and, and work on your business and on the organizational structure and on systems instead of just pounding out your widgets. That's one thing that I had to learn probably a year and a half ago. I was always just working in the business. I was like, I'm literally just an employee for myself. Yeah. So I, I, I like that one. Yeah. Uh, second thing would be uh, understand what you're passionate about. Understand, you know, your purpose for being here. And this is a pretty high level thing. Like, you know, what is your purpose in life? Yeah. You know, and really dig down into your essence to find out what that is and then find overlap with what you're doing professionally. We, we spend more time at work and sleeping yeah. than we do doing anything else. So make sure that you're working on you know stuff that's that's passionate uh, to you and that strikes a chord with you personally. Yep. Um, third thing, uh, I would say leverage the strengths of your colleagues. And um, you know, for for us, we do a not, we do a lot of different things, right? Um, you know, we do civil engineering, we do architecture, we do some construction management, we do you know a, a lot of things within those disciplines as well. I don't do all of those things. Yeah. And, uh, you need to be able to leverage, you know, your, the strengths of your team and of your colleagues and, and, and things like that to, to be able to grow into those and do those effectively. Um, and probably the fourth thing is make sure you're listening to your clients, listen to your customers at the end of the day without them, you don't exist. Yep. So make sure that you're, uh, in tune with what their needs are and ask for critical feedback. Okay. That is the, that is probably the, some of the best nuggets that I've gotten is uh, when I talk to a client after we've done a project Okay, and I ask them, you know, how did it go? And they would say, good. So not just good. Yeah. Not just good. Tell me more about things that we could have done better. Yeah. And uh, you know, occasionally we'll get some candid feedback and that is so important because we like, like I said before, a vast majority of our book of business is repeat business from yeah. year to year. So the last thing we want to do is not have an upset and... client or customer. So yeah. know, be, be in tune, be in tune to what your, what your uh, customer base is needing. 
I so. like those four. The, the, the last one that you mentioned there, I always try to tell myself, treat every client like it's the only client you have. Yeah. If that's the only client you'd have, how hard would you work to keep them happy? Right. So if you can do that with every single client you have, uh, you should you should be a little bit more successful. Ryan, thank you very much uh, yeah. for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Where can they find Axel Nestle, the Axel Group? Uh, so uh, we we have social media presences uh, on on all the on all the socials. So if you you know type in Ackerman Esfold or Axel, that's A K S A L uh, into the search bar or whatever, you'll you'll find us. Perfect. And we'll put all those links in the description below for you guys to check them out. Ryan, thank you again for, very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. That was episode 53 of the My Not Business podcast. Again, please leave a rating and review if you guys enjoyed the show. We will see you guys next week for episode 54.